Hello, and welcome back to Vox Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Palindrom Hannah. Hey, Hannah, how's it going? Okay, I actually have something I want to talk about, but no one's going to care, but... Okay. Um, my favorite movie theater closed. It shut its doors, and I got to see Killers of the Flower Moon as, like, the final movie... But it's gone, and now every movie theater in my area is a $10 matinee, like, base level. What is that? I know that, like, a lot of people in California and New York are probably like, that's nothing, that's, Hannah. But- that's a lot for where you are. But, yeah, I mean, economies of scale. For where you are, that's actually an expensive movie, yeah. And so now it's like, what movie is worth $10 minimum for me, an individual person to go see when I just know it's going to be on Disney plus plus or like whatever in a couple months. Like, and you rarely go back to the movies by yourself. So it's really $20 cause it's you, you and Josh going. So yeah. And I just, I guess what I'm saying is like, I am responsible for the November box office slump. <laughs> well, it's, it's a problem, right? And I mean, maybe we should do a show talking about like, the you know because we t- we talk about the box office a lot because of our game but maybe at some point we should talk about how box office money works and like why i mean i don't want to i don't want to be the weird film nerd on the internet even though i am a weird film nerd on the internet right but like the oh it's important to go see movies in the theater or the theatrical experience and if you don't then they'll go away and that's true but also you're not wrong right like if the movies are too expensive to go if you're priced out of going to the movies like, I understand why you might want to go see something glossy and IMAXy in, in the theaters, right? Like, Spider-Man anything Hannah's going to go to, right? But I get that. But I get why you don't want to go see, you know, a random mid-range drama on, you know, for 20 bucks in the theater when you'll be able to see it next month at home and you can pause and go to the bathroom, so... I, I had to go to the bathroom twice during Killers of the Flower Moon, by the way. It was a long movie. And, like, I tried to dehydrate. Probably too to much information. <laughs> you know, probably too much information yeah. for our audience. But, like, it was a long movie. So what I'm saying is that the world is expensive, and I'm looking for ways to save money. Okay. Well, that's not our topic today. Actually, it is our topic today. That's a weird yeah, segue. Yeah, I tried. Yes, I do. Before we get into our topic today, just keep that in mind. I do want to apologize to people who listened to the show last week within the first 18 hours that it was released. There was an audio problem. I want to thank my friend Reuven, who listened and wrote me and said, hey, the sound mix is all screwed up. And like, I guess like a quarter into the episode, my audio just drops out for the last for the rest of the episode. And then there was like a, a, a file corruption problem. So it's fixed. And if you go to the website and you listen to it or you download it and it says if it says remastered, it's definitely the right one. But I also tried to overwrite the the broken one. So sorry if you listened early. Go listen again. We could use the, the downloads anyway. So anyway, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about saving money at the holidays and or blowing money at the holidays. So I'm going to invite. OK, I will introduce our regular guest first, which is Stephanie's back. My wife, Stephanie. Hey, Steph. Yep, hi there. <laughs> uh, this is the first time. Like usually Steph talks before before I introduce her. So usually. You, you, no, <laughs> yeah, I held off this time. <laughs> so so Steph is here 
and this will make sense once when you start talking about the topic. If you look at the uh, the blog at www.voxpodcast.com, you'll see that I wrote a little call for comments where I was talking about holiday shopping and event shopping. It is, as we listen to this, If okay, if you listen to the day this show drops, I guess it's Cyber Monday, you know, one of the big shopping days of the year. But this is dropping after American Thanksgiving, the Monday after American Thanksgiving. So we just had Black Friday, which is exciting for me because, like, I love shopping. And so it's the beginning of the Christmas shopping season. And everybody loves Christmas shopping and camping out and going to Black Friday deals. Right, stuff. That's a thing that everybody loves. No. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't know why I'm on the show, to be honest. I hate shopping. Well, that's why. I thought to, yeah. I thought it would be interesting to, to have someone just because. So this is uh, spoilers or not even spoilers. For I hate the, spending money and I hate shopping. Well, OK. So for anybody who has gotten a present from me and stuff as a couple in the last how long have you known each other, sweetie? 25 years? Uh, yeah. Since 1990. 98. Yeah. Yep. So so since we've been together. You didn't really get a pre present from me and stuff. You got a present from me. and <laughs> One in a, like a 1% chance that it came from me. Yeah. <laughs> that was at a conference or something. Because Steph doesn't like shopping. Steph doesn't like going to the store. So like I buy, I do all of our Christmas shopping and I love it. And it's amazing. And it's a magical time of the year. It's the season of giving. Hannah, how do you feel about Christmas shopping? Did you, did, did it, did my breath like get I, I, did, I, just, I did, I did hear the exasperated sigh that sounds like the kind of sound that Stephanie makes. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I like getting things for people and thinking thoughtfully about what they might want, but it always comes at a rush at the end of the year. And so, and then like you look at your bill in January and you're like, oops. Yeah. It's, it's so it's expensive. But I wanted to talk a little bit about that just because it seemed like a, you know, Capitalism is certainly part of pop culture and it's part of what we do. So I want to talk about that a little bit. So I'd like to invite to the show my new friend, Jonathan Alexander. What? Let me try it again. Jonathan Alex Drod Al I can't say your last name. Jonathan <laughs> Alex Drodos. <laughs> I got it right it's, this time, uh, though. I think. Uh, Alex oh, what is that? Can you say it for me? It. Yeah, it's uh, Jonathan Alexandrados. Alex Andrados. That's, I'm, I'm missing the end. That's it. Okay. Alex Andratos. I'm bad at names. So thanks That's for okay. being here, Jonathan. <laughs> As it turns out, the Greeks are complicated at names. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan, I met you. You were a guest on where, okay, because of the way podcast time travel works, you will be a guest on my other show. I think this show is actually going to drop before your episode of Gosh Golly Wow. I'm traveling. Or maybe not. They might actually drop the same weekend, in which case GGW. I lose track. It is it is very confusing because of like the way we do the recording schedules for both both episodes. And also just things that no one cares about. The last four or five episodes of GGW have been recorded out of order as well as being recorded ahead of time. So like I'm not actually sure when that happens. But you are uh, you're, you're, how would you style yourself? A, a, a toy historian? Yeah, so toy historian works. Toy scholar also works. I, I like that title because people usually put it in condescending quotation marks in reference to me, like a toy <laughs> scholar. But like, <laughs> what's a scholar do? Well, you know, a scholar like writes stuff that's peer reviewed. They teach yeah. at the university. They present at conferences. They write books. I've done all of those things, and I happen to have done them about toys. So I kind of think it works. You know, I'm trying to hold myself to a high standard with that, but I think I've met at least 
some of it. <laughs> I'm a comic book and pop culture scholar. I get it. Hey, yeah, toys exactly. are a huge part of our lives. Like, of course, mm-hmm. they should be studied and interrogated. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So. I thought it'd be interesting to talk about just shopping in general. So would you, I don't know that you'd call yourself a shopping scholar, would you, Jonathan? Uh, I, w- I would call myself a shopper, but I wouldn't call myself a shopping <laughs> scholar. I guess if I think yeah. uh, really deeply about it, maybe I could get there. But uh, but I do. I love to shop. I was listening to you, Mav, talk about it. And I also agree with you. I love shopping. I could do it just marathon style. I, I think it's great. I, and I've never I'm going to learn something about my wife live on the air. So here we go. What is the hatred stuff? Hatred? It's just, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know what to get people. Like, I'm, I don't care about things. Like, I don't really get myself anything. So therefore, I don't really know what to get other people. And I don't know. Maybe I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. I, I certainly wouldn't say you're a terrible person. I, um, You don't, I mean... You don't like spending money, but I don't even think shopping for me is about the money spending. It is part well, of I'd rather get you something expensive and just to get it over with and <laughs> spend like time like pulling my hair out thinking what should I get him? See, that's the fun part for me. Like more so than the money. Like I like the experience of sitting down and thinking what would make this person happy? What is something they would never think to get for themselves or do for themselves but will make them that will, what's the word that evil cleaning lady used? Um, spark joy. What will spark joy? Uh, Marie Kondo. <laughs> evil spark joy. She's apologized. It is evil. She, after COVID, Marie Kondo apologized and said she was wrong. And she, and she's, and she's apologized for ruining the lives of all the messy people. Oh, you don't know about that? Stephanie's furrowing a brother. We can probably exaggerate. No, Marie Kondo was interviewed after COVID where she was like, yeah, I know this is why I'm famous, but I've got a small child, you know, I've got several, she's got like three kids and she, and she had a baby like right before COVID started. So she was just like, there's a pandemic and I've got a one-year-old and, and two other small children. And it turns out that like, there's more to life than cleaning. And my house just looks like a mess now. And that's just how it is. And it's fine. My kids are happy. <laughs> like she basically said she was wrong for leading people astray. And, you know, you can have your life be whatever it is that makes you comfortable and happy. And you shouldn't judge people based on them being messy because you don't okay, know. There's yeah. That's part of it. We have too much stuff at our house. <laughs> I will say this with regard to that, because I'm all for Marie Kondo's reflection and whatever process she's going for. Good for her. But I do think that actually the accumulation of a lot of stuff has actually kind of screwed over some toy shops now, actually, because mm-hmm. during the pandemic, a lot of people just bought and bought puzzles, games, toys, things to keep themselves <laughs> occupied, all of which is great. Goodness knows I did that, too. But now a lot of my friends who own small toy shops have reported that those same people are coming back to them looking to sell a lot of that stuff to them and those shops are like we can't take this like we are inundated as it is so it's a big kind of intersection that we're at where like some people may be kind of doing the Marie Kondo thing even if Marie mm-hmm. Kondo is going the other way and is like actually you can kind of keep your stuff it's fine well you know well first of all I think Gary called out oh sorry Mav Go oh, ahead. no, I was just going to point out that Stephanie is, as we speak, yeah, what, what do I do with this puzzle that I have here? <laughs> There's a puzzle. Well, you'll, you've always liked puzzles because I bought yeah. them for you before the pandemic even. But she but Stephanie likes puzzles. And obviously during the pandemic, 
the puzzle intake grew. And so in not that much, not, not that much, but in, in the recording studio in our house, there's a, there's like a long, like a conference table that all the recording stuff is, sits on. And then where Stephanie sits, she's also used it's that. It's literally area. the only place in the house where there's enough room for me to make a puzzle. That's not true. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, she's, constructed a puzzle for herself and it's sitting in front of her it, that she you know where she sits with the microphone right now so <laughs> what's the puzzle of i got the christie puzzle actually oh, um, oh. yeah yeah it, it's pretty cool and mm-hmm. it has like a little kind of a map too on the, the to it just like it's the highlights of her life so it has like scuba equipment or a surfboard and golf things mm-hmm. and she did a lot i had no idea she was that active i guess that makes sense because she knows she knew a lot about a lot of different places so so i want to point out that i did not buy this puzzle for steph this is one that you bought for yourself no my mom bought it for me oh okay it was um, a christmas <laughs> present from my mom well so yeah i, I don't really buy much for yeah. myself yeah that <laughs> is true. i was actually going to be excited because steph doesn't you know, she was she wasn't joking she mostly does not shop well, I was going to say for herself, but really at all, since I like you, Steph goes and buys food. Like you'll go. My mom shopping. was a hoarder. I think that might have something. Your mom's to do not with a hoarder. You, want, like, you say that, but I've been to your house. Like you have not been to I her have. bedroom, her closet. Okay. You're even yet. worse. You're even worse than she is. I'm not worse than she is. <laughs> yeah. She has like a bedroom, a walk-in closet. That's just has clothes like from the floor to probably like four feet high. Mm-hmm. And she's for years been trying to go through her mm-hmm. stuff and get rid of stuff. And she gives me a lot of clothes. So that's one of the reasons I never have to buy anything, even though I look like, you know, a 75 year old lady, the way I dress. <laughs> but I don't really care because <laughs> it keeps me warm. So no, 75 is the new 25. It's all good. The interesting thing you just said, Mav, is about the difference between shopping for yourself and shopping for other people. I think that there's, mm-hmm. a, you know, one of those things I enjoy a bit more than the other. Like, that's an important distinction to make. Shopping for myself, I'm thrilled. Shopping for other people, I find myself <laughs> having to resist the urge to buy them the thing that I would like and then try to convince them that it's cool. Huh. But I resist that because I, I want to bring it back to what the person would actually like. And I realize that there's a bit of narcissism in my impulse, but I just want to say that, like, like, I think that's what makes shopping for other people sometimes more difficult for me than shopping for myself. Yeah. Um, I have to have theory of mind. I mean, it's also hard. I feel like as an adult, it's harder to buy for other people because there's a set amount of space in a person's house mm-hmm. and, or, or apartment or mm-hmm. may, maybe like even some of my friends like don't even have like a set dwelling like they just move a lot based on like their career and it's like i don't want to buy them something that they like can't use or don't have time for or like it would just take up more space and i think that too there's been like this big shift for some people in terms of like buying a thing versus buying an experience when it comes to gift giving or even in my dad's case we buy him fancy coffee beans for Christmas every year because he likes coffee, but he would never buy like the fancy coffee beans because Folgers is good enough for him. <laughs> but does he enjoy the, so he would never buy the fancy coffee beans, but if you guys buy him 
you know, a pound of fancy coffee, does he go, oh, wow, I'll enjoy this until I'm done with it. And yes. he, he appreciates the getting it. Yes. Because that's yes, how, and he, like. And, and he appreciates it because it doesn't stay because, like, my parents have a lot of stuff because they've lived in the same house for over 30 years and had two kids. And actually, they're storing some of my stuff, to be honest with you, because I don't mm-hmm. have room for it at my house. So. Mm-hmm. I get that. Oh, I know before Steph's dad passed away, like he, you know, we bought him on several occasions. We bought him for Christmas, like a case of Guinness, which he liked. Uh... Well, he liked, actually, I think he liked, I think he liked the Bass Ale better because we, 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 we wanted to make him black and tans and we bought him a case of Guinness <laughs> and a case of Bass. And I think he liked the Bass, except for he, he kept calling it Heineken, which is not the same thing. <laughs> but also, like, I, I, he was never going to buy any, yeah, he was a Coors Light guy. Yeah, yeah, he was gonna buy Coors. If he was gonna buy beer for himself, it was just gonna be Coors Light. But he did seem to appreciate the nice beer as like a thought, I guess. Yeah, maybe we got him the like he did the first time, but then like the second time, I noticed it was in their basement, not drank. He later he stopped drinking as much too. Like, yeah, I think so. So that you know, and like your mom's not gonna drink beer. No. So, <laughs> so, so ladies don't drink beer. <laughs> Don't say, Except, that on, uh, don't say that without explaining it on my show. That was, that's my, my, my niece, and we dispute which niece it was, but I'm pretty sure I know which one it was. But she said that when I mentioned that I that I like beer. It's like, what? ladies don't drink beer. She was like isn't six that, at the time, to be fair. <laughs> why they invented Miller High Life? Because it's the, it's yeah, good the, point, like, not yeah. the original marketing. I mean, look. Like it's the sexist, Virginia Slims of beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what light beer was. Like, Coors, oh, really? oh yeah, oh yeah, light, okay. yeah. All the light beers were Coors being the first one. Like they, like they were very much like a. It's a diet beer for the ladies. Oh, you know? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah the pick for hers of beer. Um, I just got a button from the 1960s, 70s Diet Pepsi. I'm a girl watch girl <laughs> campaign. Are you familiar with this? No, please so share. Pepsi, Diet Pepsi in the six, late 60s into the early 70s ran a commercial that basically had this woman walking like up the steps to the Capitol building in D.C. with like tons of guys just ogling her you know she's doing this and the overlaid voiceover is kind of this is you know america's finest landmark it's a a woman who takes care of her figure and she does that by drinking diet pepsi and they like went all in with this they made actual buttons that you could get and wear and if you were a woman presumably you wore the i'm a girl watched girl button which had little googly eyes on it oh my god i'm a girl that that uh, men like to look at and then there was one for men that basically said i watch girls which i feel like is also oh my god Uh, what year was this Late 60s. Late 60s, yeah. I mean, I don't, like, problematic doesn't even cover it, really. But it's just, you can still see these commercials on YouTube, and if you want to, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like like this is good enough. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yep. But, so, I guess one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this on this show was just because part of it is that thing about the experience of shopping. And I mean, I find it... Yeah, you enjoy shopping? Yes, very much so. I find it relaxing, but not like I don't like spending money. I I enjoy the hunt of shopping 
to where you're like, especially when you find that you've gotten a good deal, when you've gotten like, if you've saved mm -hmm. like 60% on something that, you know, that you kind of want that from like, your grandma. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. then the, um, I know some stuff about that. Yeah. Very much. So this is very much a, a grandma Mabel thing. Uh, my, my grandmother. So you probably get like a rush. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it, yeah, it terribly. So, and not just for it, very much, not just for shopping for myself. Like I'm excited if I can be like, I bought this for somebody and it was cheaper than it should have been. And I mean, and they don't care because it's not, you know, like you're not going to tell them how much money it was anyway, but like, it just, it makes the present a little extra special for me but also like christmas is great because christmas is like a time where you get to give lots of presents and you get to like watch people open them and you know and be thankful and stuff i i enjoy that 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 feeling so so that's part of it but i think that's why you know to go into like where i was talking with the call for comments i think that's why the whole black friday cyber monday christmas shopping season event worked you know as a cultural like sort of a phenomenon, right? Like we created, I mean, conspicuous consumption is, you know, a hallmark of Americana anyway, but we created a season based around, you know, the game of shopping. And some of us really like that game. I, I do. Because nobody else really I mean, enjoys it. Well, I do. Uh, and it's a relatively <laughs> recent phenomenon also. I mean, in terms of the way we conceive of it today. I don't know if like the history of Black Friday is something you want to get into, but I do kind of feel like that's bubbling up for me right now. So the concept of Black Friday is interesting for its ultimately sort of vague origins for a long time. And I think this is still out there. There was a quite false idea that it had something to do with enslaved people being sold back in the time of slavery right after Thanksgiving. That is like wrong. I mean, it's just, it's just flat out wrong. Like, but you'll still feel, you'll still hear people like quote that, but just know it's wrong. <laughs> the next sort of point in terms of the term Black Friday comes around like 1951 when there is an actually an associate editor of... <laughs> It's like a trade publication called Factory Management and Maintenance who was trying to unpack or name the phenomenon of employees calling out sick the day after Thanksgiving, basically, so that mm -hmm. they can get the four-day weekend. And in that context, Black Friday actually took on this meaning of like the Black Plague. Like it's like Black Friday, like the Black Plague, like people are calling out sick. And we know like they're not actually sick. It's just they don't want to work that day, understandably. Hungover. Because... Hungover sick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Food comas or whatever. So that, that, like at least as far as recorded instances of the word Black Friday, that that may very well be the first one after in the late 50s, the Philadelphia police use it to name basically the throngs of people that kind of emerged the day after Thanksgiving to shop. Yes, but not just to shop. There was an Army Navy football game that also took people out into mm -hmm. the streets for that. So they're kind of naming essentially a traffic problem. You actually couldn't mm -hmm. 
call off that day if you were a traffic cop you had to show up because it was such a big deal yeah. and then after that into the 1960s there were employees that adopted that name to define the shopping day alongside kind of a day of all these other things like the football game and things like that but the modern sort of incarnation of the word black friday is like a 1981 kind of thing because that's really when it it started to take on this meaning of like stores being in the black you know like stores actually like making a huge amount of profit and there were of course alongside that you know plenty of these huge department stores which obviously existed before but now you've got this idea of like deep discount sales and you know people really rushing in and people recording it and you know items that people are really driven to to get specifically so that's kind of why I like placed the modern incarnation of Black Friday pretty recently. You know, it's yeah. even though you can find the term earlier. So I just yeah, want to say that neat. my mother worked retail in the 80s. And the, my understanding of the origin of Black Friday was, you know, being in the black versus being in the red. But yeah. thank you mm-hmm. for sharing like that full history, including <laughs> some of the mythology around it, because I'd never heard some of that before. So yeah. that's really fascinating. And also reminds me of an episode of Superstore where <laughs> they all come into work, but they get food poisoning and work anyway, which I feel like was like, I, I think a lot of people who worked on that show worked retail at one point. And I feel like that's someone's work story just on screen. Yeah. Have all oh, of us yeah. worked retail? I know I did. Yeah, and I Steph, Steph has. Yep. What about the two of you? I actually still kind of do because there's a toy store, like a local toy store near me that I both consult for and I also just work some weekends just for fun because I enjoy mm-hmm. it. So I that in that capacity, yes. But I've never worked retail in the sense of like a big box store or anything like that. I haven't either. Mm-hmm. My, okay. my parents just didn't want me to like work like in high school and like college because that's like a, you know, a thing they never had. Like they, they were mm-hmm. working. But I got jobs anyway. It was just newspaper, which I know is a privilege. But yeah, I feel like at this point, I've worked myself out of being qualified to do retail job. <laughs> I feel like I genuinely, like I genuinely think that like no one would hire me I did, because because yeah. I did. And I was just wondering, you know, did have you worked at Black Friday stuff? Like, because I because it sucks. I mean, I get calling yeah, up. I, I, I worked at TJ Maxx in high school. Yeah, I don't think so. Just um, over summers and. Christmas break, but yeah, not over, not for Thanksgiving break. Oh, yeah, it is a, it is, it is an awful day. Oh. I tried. Like, I, when mm-hmm. Toys R Us was around, I was like, you know, a really cool thing for my research would be to work Black Friday at a Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. So I, like, made oh, up a to submit to Toys R Us, and I, I did. And e- even with that, they did not hire me. I mean, it wasn't like I used a fake name or anything like that, because obviously they'll know, but it's like, right. you know, I don't want to be like, I am I have an MFA in playwriting. Like, I think that's a little, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But I really wanted to. I would actually go to the Toys R Us near me. I used to live near one in Astoria, Queens. And I would go at, like, two, three in the morning on Black Friday. Nobody was really there. It was a kind of out of the way location. And I mean, it was just the employees were all super chill and I kind of knew them and we would just kind of talk toys because they were actually, a lot of them were toy enthusiasts themselves. And Mm -hmm. it was actually a really peaceful experience. Like I've definitely had the, you're packed in a crowd all trying to get the like $2 television or whatever it is. But that was actually so just calming and uh, it kind of makes me wonder if that 
doesn't contribute maybe to why they don't quite do that anymore like at least in my area it's not really like uh we're opening at midnight and staying open all day like usually it's a 6 a.m and onward kind of thing which i mean i think the bigger point is like that is probably more respectful to the employees as well like you're not asking people to do that which i think is good although i i hope that they're well paid if they are doing that they're not we still have have them around here because i've done them i've done them a few times stephanie has never gone with me to the to a to a doorbuster style so that, that mm-hmm. was my next question so i've worked black friday in high school I, i've gone and worked at tj maxx on it and it's bad it's not nearly as bad as working december 26th december 26th is Ooh. return day and it is yeah. the worst day in retail it is awful I, like death first kind of awful like i i never want to do that again but and in fact i don't even want to return anything on december 26th so like if i if somebody buys me something i'll wait three days i'll return on the 28th screw it you yeah. know like the, the, the store will still yeah. be there that's um, right like it's like such a weird yeah. impulse. Like I have to get this out of my house the next day. Like you can oh, yeah. right. Yeah, this is so much. <laughs> I'm having yeah. to deal with these like, crowds. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I can have a sweater like, that doesn't fit yeah. for a couple of days. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I genuinely thought everyone just like slept in December 26th uh, to like recover oh, from. No, the- it's bad. Yeah. Having yeah, having worked it, it's just a madhouse of people coming in. You're not making any money. It's just people who are standing in line for customer service to do returns. It's awful. But uh, but the doorbuster thing. I never like, TJ Maxx didn't have doorbusters at the yeah. clothing store, yeah. but uh, but like it's just a it's just a bad shopping day. But I gone... it's dangerous. <laughs> well, what to door, doorbusters? It's not bad because it, I don't want to get because, crushed. Well, okay, so we're going to talk about like one of the reasons that Jonathan's here is because I want to talk about the Cabbage Patch riots. If you've not heard of the Cabbage Patch riots, stay tuned, kids. But I but like most Black Fridays, I've done it a couple times. I've done it. Uh, I've done it at uh, at Best Buy. I've done it at Walmart. I've done it, you know, usually. So Walmart and Target these days are doing the, you know, we'll open up at midnight. Best Buy, when when we bought the TV, that uh, one of our TVs we bought, or, or we, I bought. <laughs> at a, Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, I bought a TV at a Black Friday sale and what a flat screen tv and i was you know it was like 60 something percent off and i'm like yeah that's a hell of a deal i'll you know i'll go sleep in the parking lot for that and steph you want to come Steph's like, no <laughs> so, but but it's kind of there's a camaraderie about it and it's respectful usually like people so they honor the line system God, yes. The, the, the line system and the ticket system. So what you do is, you you know, you you stay in your car like people like sort of go in the park and you, you like they'll have if they if it's a good store, they'll have some overnight guy who will come out and say, what are you here for? And you'll be like, I'm here for the TV. All right. And they'll give you a TV ticket. And then, you know, what are you here for? I'm, I'm here for the PlayStation. I'm here for the whatever. Right. Like and people will get like a ticket. And then you, and then that's your place in line. So after that, you can go and get back in your car because it's you know probably raining or or worse even snowing. So you you know you'll lay it out in the car. You'll maybe watch a movie on your iPhone. That's what I did. <laughs> um, and then around four or five in the morning, people start forming the actual line mm-hmm. because the tickets like tell you the tickets are essentially your virtual line um but they don't hold the thing for that long they're just like all right we need to make sure that these only have eight tvs so they've got to go to the eight people who stayed here overnight but if somebody left you can't you know when the doors open 
you know, you don't, it's not like really a rush. The doors open and they're like, okay, ticket number one, TV one, TV two, TV three through TV eight. Oh, they just like a deli. They call it out. Yeah. And then if you're not there, then somebody else might snag your TV. Right. So like, it it is not like, it's, it's not like you do, you do have to stay overnight. You can't like go get a ticket and then come back at noon. You got to be there when it opens at six in the morning, Mm -hmm. but, but it is nice to like, just kind of be there and people are respectful and you're in line. People will share their umbrellas and they'll talk and what are you getting? I'm getting a TV. I'm getting a stereo, (laughs) you know, I'm getting a doll. I'm getting, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is that people are getting, getting for their stuff. There was one guy who, and I just didn't understand it. Like, I was getting a television, the person behind me was getting an Xbox, and the person behind him was just there for like 10% off on Madden. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're staying here all night. And it was, or maybe, it was, maybe it was like 50% off, but I don't, it, it was just like, he was just buying just a video game that was going to be, you know, 20 bucks instead of 40. And I'm like, and you stayed here all night for that? Wow, dude. And he's like, yeah. Hey, and, dude, and he walked in. $20 is $20. Yeah, I'm sure. But... No, a college student or something. I get it. I get wanting to save $20, but it was snowing and he had to stand in line and wait and, you know, get a ticket. And he had to sleep in a parking lot. And $20, I, I, $20. I, I, I don't guess. know. I, I don't like the game that much. Well, he did, apparently. <laughs> apparently, yeah. And that's the only thing he got. And, he, and I remember seeing him. I was like, Aww. you get your game? And he's like, yep. Oh, he was happy. He was Aww. happy. And, that, and that's kind of the thing. It's, it was, it's kind of a, you know, I was happy with my TV. He was happy with his with his video game. The other guy had his PlayStation or Aww. his Xbox or whatever. And, you know, everybody leaves happy. And it's, it's a nice sort of, you know, camaraderie that sort of is worth the experience. And these days, the experience doesn't even start, like, you, to be fair, the like stores open on Thanksgiving now. Um, no, I mean kind yeah. of, but actually no. This is one thing I wanted to talk about. And actually, mm-hmm. you know what, Matt? Before I mm-hmm. transition, I will back you up and say actually, like Black Friday has been nice when I've been drugged to do it by my mother, mm-hmm. and like my mother is like a person who loves Black Friday and got really excited because one year either she or my sister won like a thousand dollar gift card from like oh, Elf so or awesome. something, wow. awesome. and like. And my, you know, my mother is the nicest person in the world. Like she finds a friend in everyone like that, like, you know, it's a big community thing for her. Like it's a good time, but, um, I don't want to leave my house. And like, so the thing, like it was, you're right. It was true. There were many places that opened in Thanksgiving and things were like, I felt like we're starting to get out of hand in like the 20 teens. But recently, and by recently, I mean like in 2020, there has been like a shift in like Black Friday culture again, like instead of like opening on Thanksgiving, like mm-hmm. some st- like stores like started paring down and like mm-hmm. Target and Walmart, like after 2020 and even in 2021, were like, okay, yeah, we're just like not gonna do yeah. like Thanksgiving anymore. So, and, and I think there has like been like a shift yeah. online. So I, I'm curious about what you all think about like, you know, like, like, like Black Friday is like this cultural event, but like, is it like changing again permanently? Like, I mean, like online sales are like a thing. People mm-hmm. don't want to be in crowds anymore because, you know, germs. Amazon's already open. Yeah, Amazon's Black Friday sale opened. I mean, it's it's Tuesday as we, as we tape this, but they opened their sales on Monday. So they, you know, like you can start shopping well before Thanksgiving now. So it closes. When, when does it close? Next Monday. Okay. It's like a whole week. I mean, it doesn't close. It's just, you know, like it goes back to regular prices. Oh, you're right. Like okay. Amazon, we'll miss the sale over Amazon there. will still be open. Just the sale close, you know what I meant. Yeah. What was that, Jonathan? Two, two thoughts about that. I think that 
one thought is what you said, which is that the proliferation of like of, or the saturation of something like Amazon and those types of sales, which do kind of stretch this into like a month or months long experience, is kind of nullifying or, or or taking over the in store experience a bit. But I also think that the rise of social media in in the way that it kind of has firmed up in let's say the late twenty teens is important because I think mm-hmm. that the more people see footage of people getting trampled and they see footage of just stores at night or early in the morning and what they look like, the more pressure there is from the public to these businesses to say, Hey, it isn't right. If there's a Walmart employee who dies, you know, and we saw that happen because we all now carry cameras in our pockets so it's mm-hmm. not like the 80s where you had to be carrying like a, a video camcorder or something to that effect now it's like you've got everybody has that so i think that also kind of <laughs> contributes to the choices that some of these corporations make because that it's bad press for people to be like well you know a walmart employee just died you know and Does that actually happened by the way yeah uh, i believe so. yeah. The, there was one who got trampled, unfortunately, uh, hmm. a year, but not long no. ago. I mean, you know, not in the 2020s, but I think in the 20-teens. And yeah, and I, other it, videos. It was, yeah. Oh, sorry, Jonathan. I was going to say I have the, the incident you're talking about pulled up if you oh, want the yeah, numbers. Go, go for it. Yeah. I just had the Black Friday Wikipedia page open out of curiosity because like, there, there's a whole section on instances of violence and chaos. And in 2008, in Valley Stream, New York, at a Walmart, a crowd pushed forward and they broke the doors and a 34-year-old employee was trampled to death. And like the shoppers didn't appear concerned with the victim. Um, and like the police arrived and like that actually didn't really stop people. And there were also like other injuries. And um, Wikipedia, at least, counts this as maybe the first case of death occurring. Yeah. And there was also like in that, that same year... There was a violent incident at Toys R Us that seems mm-hmm. like more more like like separated from Black Friday because that was a different. But like like in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2018, and 2019, there are all like other like so some of them are like shootings mm-hmm. because it's the U.S. But right. like those numbers all like <laughs> have yeah. incidences of violence or other like upsetting events that take place on black friday with shopping and like i'm also wondering like were there events i mean like i don't expect anyone to have an answer for me but based on some other conversations i've seen about you know how we have cameras on our phones now we can document this like you know is Mm -hmm. the world getting worse or like are we just noticing these things happening on black friday because we have the phones with the cameras in our we should talk about the cabbage patch riots like i mean jonathan you obviously know Quite a bit about the, about this. Yeah. Well, actually, the chance to tell them about the documentary, but also just yeah. the riots in general. So I'll let you do that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I'm in a documentary called Billion Dollar Babies, which is the true story of the Cabbage Patch Kids, which is the, the sort of subtitle to it, which essentially tells the story of the origin of the Cabbage Patch Kids, the sort of plush toys that were 
really invented in the 70s, but then kind of burst onto the scene in the early 80s in mm-hmm. terms of mass retail. And as part of that story, we talk about what we kind of term the Cabbage Patch Kids riots, which is, I mean, you might hear that and be like, oh, come on, that sounds kind of overblown. But I mean, you can actually see video of people like in yes. stores with baseball bats and like injuries and this kind of thing. So if that's not a riot, I don't know what is. <laughs> and so... You made a good point, Hannah, and I've thought about that a lot with regard to was there anything like that before? Because we know, of course, that there were Black Fridays. We know that there were, you know, obviously big box retail stores. We know that there were fads, too. Like, so, you know, if you just want to talk toys, you've got things like the Davy Crockett fad in the 1950s. You want to talk toys, we go even earlier to the Shirley Temple fad in the like 30s. So the question then that comes to mind is like, all right, well, was anyone ever beating each other up over a like a coonskin cap for Davy Crockett, you know? And the answer is to some extent, like we won't know with the same level of surety that we can know from the 80s, because again, just the accessibility of media like recording devices and things like that, and the way that kind of news worked. But the cabbage patch kids sort of inspired like the I would say like the first really recorded you can see it sort of incident of like violence over over one of these toy fads which is not to say that people in the past didn't like fight over some toys I'm sure it happened but but the Cabbage Patch Kids kind of stand out in that way and I think that also acts as kind of a reference point for what we think about now when we talk about Black Friday and what Black Friday kind of does to people. And and in the documentary, we kind of trace some of the possible readings of that. So we look at like what the 80s kind of stood for and we look at, you know, what people were kind of told in the 80s is this sort of decade of prosperity and wealth and sort of greed and how much that even sort of subconsciously culturally kind of fuels something like like this something like these cabbage patch kids riots and i think all of that sort of contributes to us sort of marking the cabbage patch kids as at least like kind of culturally important as certainly like an early if not the earliest really recorded example of this happening and again i Mm -hmm. want to insist on like that word recorded because Prior to that, you know, we we could probably dig up some news reports of some stuff going down, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it just doesn't look the same. And I feel like that is so identifiable with kind of some of the stuff we saw in recent years, especially like in those years that that Hannah was quoting. If you've never seen the YouTube footage of like, until you've seen a grown man swinging a baseball bat over a doll at other shoppers, like... It's insanity. And that's and it wasn't. And and we say that as though, you know, because people are like riots. Jonathan pointed this out. It's not like this is one crazy guy. This is nationwide people, you know, grown adults just violently, you know, injuring each other over plush toys. And and I kind of wonder, like I was around for this, but, you know, Gender roles being what they were, no one was buying me a Cabbage Patch doll. I was not actually interested. My mother and her friends were actually making Cabbage Patch dolls at the time. There was like a, there were like patterns online, not online, in magazines. There, there was no online. There were patterns in magazines where you could like sew your own Cabbage Patch ish dolls. Well, and so there's a whole story like, about that actually. Mm-hmm. So, so that's but, really interesting. I could get into that yeah. whatever you want. Please, please get into yeah. that. Yeah, but, but, well, yeah, but anyway, the, the thing I was just pointing out though is that was going on, and 
the news just was like nightly showing people damn near trying to murder each other over toys. And how do you tell your daughter? It's like happy, you know, the kids were that crazy about wanting. No, no, no. No, the parents were that crazy about wanting to get the, it was such a status symbol. It was a it was it, it becomes such a status symbol of this is the hot toy that like you wanted to show how cool your family was because your daughter got a cabbage patch doll for Christmas. So um, and there were there was just a limited number of them. So adults were fighting over Cabbage Patch dolls in order to make sure they could give one. And how do you tell, you know, how do you like, how are you proud of yourself if you have to tell, if you have to tell your daughter, that's a Cabbage Patch doll. You got that because I had to beat up three, three people in order to get, like, what do you do? Like, how do you even, I mean, I'm sure you just don't tell them, but this would happen again later with the Tickle Me Elmo. It would happen with the Furby. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, what? Like, thing. like, like they were not, there were riots over Furbies and Tickle Me Elmo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So okay, clearly I just missed a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is why, like, the Cabbage Patch Kids thing is such a flashpoint, because after that, we can start to ramble off these other instances of stuff that's the same. But before that, I feel like we kind of struggle to, to, like, really find something that, like, truly aligns with that. We can kind of find maybe some proto examples, but nothing mm-hmm. that is really that. But two things in what you just said. First, with regard to just the news coverage. So Connie Chung is actually in the documentary Billion Dollar Oh, yes. Well. Awesome. And she's in there because she actually was told by her news reporters, like, you know, any sort of like foreign conflict that the U.S. might be engaged in, you know, you would give that maybe like a brief minute on the news. <laughs> Cabbage Patch Kids riots, that would get like 15 minutes of well, interviews and development. And so it it took over the national conversation in an interesting way. And it's really cool to hear her reflect on that. And she's baffled by it. She's just like, why did I, why was I told this as a reporter? Like there are clearly more impactful <laughs> things going on in the country besides Cabbage Patch Kids dolls. But that's, that was the focus. So it makes you then sort of wonder, you know, is this, would the word we use today for that be virality? Is it viral? Did it go viral? You know, so, so like, if you're watching that on the news at home, and you weren't yesterday, like, oh, I need to get a Cabbage Patch Kids doll, you see that and you see that urgency and the reaction that maybe then you're like, oh, no, I guess I should get on this. Like, if, if people are really going that far like yeah let me go because also the other side to that is even if you didn't want to you could sell the doll if you got one for a premium clearly because so many people did want the doll and the thing with coleco who is the toy company behind the mass-produced version of this is they didn't make enough initially of these dolls and there was actual scarcity scarcity that people have tried to like panelico as purposeful as far as coleco is concerned they actually did try as soon as they discovered how popular these dolls were they tried to actually pull in other factories overseas to kind of make more mm-hmm. but they just couldn't get the shipments in fast enough you know and so there were these kinds of riots over scarcity i mean nowadays i think with toys we talk a lot about manufactured scarcity and toy companies sort of intentionally kind of manipulating the market this way but i don't really think that's what coleco was doing coleco just thought that this wouldn't really blow up the way it did and and then it did 
and they kind of were struggling to to catch up. Well, but like it, the company in yeah. the 80s, makers of the ColecoVision never seemed like they did not seem like the kind of company that was leaving sales on the table if they could help it. Yeah, they would have actually absolutely well, sold as many as they could, especially once like if you look at the later years of the amount of spinoff products the Cabbage Patch doll had, you know, to sure. the, the preemies. And then they eventually had, oh, what were the weird, the weird little pusas? There you go. Yeah. The weird yeah. alien monkey things. I don't know what they yeah. were. Yeah. Up. <laughs> oh yeah, you do. Because they're like somewhere between like a pet and like a colleague. Like I mean, I you know, I don't know, like of the cabbage fetch kid. I don't know. Like they're in that weird space. I think that the mythology with them was that they existed in like a specific valley and like that was the sort of type uh of organism doll that went through there. I don't know. The more you explain it, the weirder it sounds. So I'll stop. But uh, <laughs> other thing though, okay. Matt, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Oh, go ahead, please. Oh, no, I was just going to go back to what Mav said about those patterns that uh, you cut out and sewed yourself. But Hannah, if you wanted to speak to this, definitely. <laughs> I'm just oh, wondering no, if Mav's mom made money on that. Oh, no, she was making, no, there was no money. This was like, because she won it one. So, oh, yeah, wow. it's like her and my aunts were like making them for themselves. This is, this was very much a, you know. I don't understand the appeal. They looked like a real baby, but they didn't. I, I, like, it was just the thing. It was the hot. I mean, what's the appeal of any fad, right? Like, you know, it was well, just a thing. It was it was a cute boy that everybody yeah, loved. I don't think it, they were very cute at all. I, yeah, I mean, I, well, and I think also the thing to remember, in addition to it being a fad, is I kind of feel like there must have been at least someone, or at least a... I feel like a, a decent sized group of people who would have been interested in making their own if they were just for personal use due to mm -hmm. the sort of novelty of soft sculpture. Cause soft sculpture is kind of the process by which you would, if you're sewing like the actual plush bodies, you're kind of sculpting mm -hmm. it out of the, the, the fabric. And mm -hmm. that was actually something that Martha Nelson Thomas, who in the documentary, we argue, and we argue this because I, I believe it's true, created the sort of initial version of the Cabbage Patch Kid in the early 70s called the Doll Baby. So the Doll Babies were created by Martha Nelson Thomas, and she sold them at Appalachian craft fairs. And so they were very artisanal. Mm -hmm. the, she soft sculpted the entire doll, actually, including the head. So she was molding everything out of fabric <laughs> and that actually provides, I think, a nice challenge for people who are just makers in that way. They mm -hmm. would really actually enjoy that in the same way people would enjoy like cross-stitch or something like that. And then after she started selling those, Xavier Roberts approached her in 1976 at a craft fair and was like, could we sell these, you know, on a bigger scale? They seemed to be pretty cool. And then initially she was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. It. But then within about a year, she was like, I, I actually don't want to do this anymore. And I, I think if you know Martha Nelson Thomas, and we talked to her family in the documentary, she passed away in 2013, but she really was kind of more of a, like a sort of this type, like she was very, I think, 
community-based, family-based, and just I'm not actually trying to make a mass-produced thing. I'm trying to make this handmade sort of artisanal thing. And Xavier Roberts mm -hmm. was just like, let's sell it for as much as we can. So after she says like, no, I don't want to do this anymore, Xavier Roberts says, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do it no matter what. And he produces these things called Little People in 1978, mm -hmm. which really look more like Cabbage Patch Kids. I mean, they and that's not to say like doll babies didn't like doll babies absolutely looked exactly like cabbage patch kids too it's there the, the differences between each generation of these dolls like they maybe come down to like the size of a nose sort of like i mean this is the detail we're talking about so if it were a student in my class i would say it's plagiarism you know on the broader scale it's you know i guess it gets more complicated but the point i'm kind of driving at is all of this resulted in a lawsuit or rather a few lawsuits from martha nelson thomas the first one was settled in 1979 for an undisclosed amount and one of the things that also kind of evolves from this is that after the cabbage patch kids really blow up martha nelson thomas actually does get permission to sell quote unquote cabbage patch kids but she can't call them cabbage patch kids and she can't sell them as fully formed plush toys she actually has to sell them as either just the heads or and or the bodies that you sew yourself so those bodies that you're talking about that people were sell were sewing themselves are actually not opposed to the original concept of the Cabbage Patch Kids, but they actually may very well have come from Martha Nelson Thomas herself, the originator of the Cabbage Patch Kid, which I think actually kind of makes them, in my view, actually more authentic than what Xavier Roberts was doing and Coleco is doing. That's fair. Yeah, I, know, I, I, don't, I have no idea where my mom and my aunt got those patterns, and I bet you there's no way she remembers today <laughs> i want to ask her yeah. later if she knows because i'm sure i mean i'm sure it was magazine. like in a magazine right like i'm sure yeah, yeah. or maybe she went to you know some local my, my grandmother was a seamstress so mm. it's entirely possible that they just went to the local fabric store and just bought the pattern mm. you know but, so yeah. the, the appeal is just the softness of it rather than having like the hard plastic or whatever they make the, the heads out of having the appeal for making it there's i mean i'm sort of I mean the appeal for like why kids like them why people wanted them i mean there were other soft dolls it's hard to say right like I, like I, it was a thing it was cute i guess I mean, I think that there were several things that were actually novel about the Cabbage Patch Kid that kind of created their demand. The The biggest thing, I think, is the fact that Cabbage Patch Kids were not marketed as dolls. They were not marketed as toys. They were marketed as adoptions. So oh, when okay. You, ah. Right? When you got a Cabbage Patch Kid, it's not that you bought a toy it's that you adopted a baby and they mm -hmm. came with you know birth certificates yeah, and adoption papers yeah do you remember that and all that stuff right so while there were toys that were you know baby doll toys there were even like if you go back to something like raggedy Ann, you know i mean that that style of thing was around which actually mm -hmm. could True. be helpful because then you have a play pattern that parents can recognize oh yeah it's a baby doll like the ones i played with but on top of that, you've got something new that kids could see in it, which is this is this is a friend. This is a person of some sort. This is a make-believe imaginary buddy. I mean, you know, it's no surprise that later in the 80s, Chucky and Child's Play would kind of play on this a little bit. Like, 
you know, what if my so so great uh, nice to me? What if it <laughs> yield a thing, right? Um, but but before all that, yeah, I mean that this is the marketing, you know, behind behind the Cabbage Patch Kids. And actually, after this, throughout the '80s, you can see other toys, you know, Chucky aside, that actually in in real world, you know, marketed themselves very similarly because that was an aspect that people really. Um, liked and i think actually just as a as an aside this is true of the other fad toys that we could talk about also so like what makes a furby so exciting is that it can really engage with you less as a toy mm -hmm. and more as like a, a friend that's kind of responding to you tickle me elmo granted less so than a furby but it still kind of has that familiarity as like a, a friend like that's kind of built into it so i think what kind of creates a a fad toy for young kids sometimes is that element of a friend over a toy and cabbage patch kids uh -huh. nailed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, Oh, I was actually going to ask what you thought created this kind of fad. And also I was going to say about Furby cause I was part of the Furby fad yeah. to date yeah. myself, my toy. It was cute, but it was interactive and it didn't have the creepy glowy red eyes yet. <laughs> and actually like I got a gizmo like gremlins Furby Oh, I feel like yeah. that's extra creepy, but also cool. Don't get it wet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, no matter what, bad things would have happened if I got that. Yeah, exactly. It would be so cool if they could do that, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I'm also like thinking of like how this like was how this has been represented in, in media. And by <laughs> this, I mean, toy fads. I'm thinking yeah. about the office episode with the unicorn princess where Dwight buys up a bunch of like Barbies with unicorn horns, basically. <laughs> and he just resells them to people. And I'm realizing like, this is like a thing that's still yeah. happening. And also mm -hmm. like, I like board games and we've left this topic of conversation behind like an hour ago, but I think I purchased a lot of board games during the pandemic to fill in for the social time I wasn't having because like buying a board game made me think, oh, I'll create memories with people one day. Um, sure. <laughs> that sometimes worked out for me and sometimes it didn't. Um, I feel like I did the same thing, just for the record. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also thinking like there are people who like, and I don't know much about this because I'm not one of them. But there are people who like try and guess what the next like hit Kickstarter game is, mm -hmm, for instance, sure. of board games, and they like buy up a bunch of copies mm -hmm. and they try to make money off the scarcity of, you know, like the, this is like a big hit game. Yeah. But depending on how the Kickstarter campaign goes, you know, there's like a gap between people having this game and retail. Um, and like, all yeah. and there's like there was like this board game a couple of years ago called Root. Where yeah. I love Root, you've heard about before. Mm -hmm. But I actually, ironically enough, bought it for Josh for Christmas because at the time, I think he was more into board games than I was because, like, I hadn't rediscovered the joy of childhood, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, Root like, was like the impossible game to find. Like, I could mm -hmm. not buy one except through, like, either toy scalpers or, like, some reputable third party companies who happened to get, like, a couple of games. Mm -hmm. So, how do you play that? How do you play Root? Yeah. Well, it depends on what faction you are. So it, so the game, for those of you who have not heard me go on about Root, is it's set in a woodland, and these capitalist cats have come in, and they're trying to, like, cut down the woodlands to, like, make stuff. Oh, and there are, yeah, there are these factions either fighting for domination or, in the case of the Woodland Alliance, freedom in the woodlands, or in the case of the raccoon, 
vagabond character, like they're out for themselves, trying to profiteer off the war. There's expansions where they have things like a lizard cult to like get into like religious stuff. So it's a game about empire, but with cute woodland animals. And, and the cool, yeah. And the cool thing about it, or the annoying thing, depending on your perspective, is based on what faction you're playing, you have different rules, and you can make different kinds of like movements throughout the board. It's called an asymmetrical board game, and like there are board games in this like variety of varying complexity. Once one of my friends said to me, "Hannah, let's just play D and D. It'll be a lot easier." And that's <laughs> not true. <laughs> No. It's not, <laughs> absolutely not true. It's more constrained route. But yeah, but it's like it's not like a game you just like plop on the table and like figure it out together within five minutes. I I sent people like YouTube videos explaining their faction to them before we started playing, and they may or may not have watched them, and that mm. may or may not have influenced how fast the game started. I know I'm really selling this to everyone, but it's super cute <laughs> and it's really fun. If my you want to invest the time into it, my my head, my brain, or people explain board game rules to me, just I don't know, just turns into this mush that that the rules yeah. they they go yeah. there, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I it's got like directions, it. and then at some point someone is like, well, we'll just figure it out as we go, and then we yeah, start. exactly, yeah. that seems to be the way it always happens, <laughs> always, always. I actually love. I've never played that game, but as soon as you started talking about it, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I've heard about this, and it actually sounds super cool, but. To that point about like predicting the toy fads and stuff, it's interesting because clearly nobody, or I don't want to say nobody, but really few people, if anyone, predicted Cabbage Patch Kids' initial success. Because if they had, they would have, you know, had more. But the that's that practice has been going on, and sometimes people get really kind of screwed over by that because, like, there yeah. was a that first King Kong Skull Island movie is a big King Kong sort of large action figure that was released for that by I want to say Lenard and there were there initially there were a few people like buying it up but then you know that stopped but before it stopped there were like a ton of toy resellers that were buying those and stuffing them into like storage units because they felt like they would sell them for 75 bucks a pop or more when they're like, it's like a $20 toy and that will burst real quick. And they were stuck with tons of these King Kong toys that you'll still find mm -hmm. at flea markets for very cheap because of that. So like, it just speaks to like how tough it is to actually get really good at that or to really do like sure things mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, Disney would have definitely made more Ray toys when The Force Awakens yeah. came out, if anyone could predict things. Because I remember yeah. Kylo Ren just like on the shelf, because everyone thought he would take off as a character. But no, everyone wanted like yeah. the actual protagonist. Right. Um, I think part of that I, was also, I mean, it, it, it's the problem with trying to do the speculative toy thing based on an IP is... Yeah. Abrams very much tried to hide that Ray was the protagonist. They mm -hmm. re they really tried to sell it as though Finn was going to be the protagonist in in all the media leading yeah. up to the release of Star Wars of uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. Like they wanted this misdirect because of we've done episodes about this, but because of JJ's ridiculous, you know, the mystery boxes. Oh, the don't bait me. Don't bait <laughs> me. Um, uh, we, we've got a whole episode. Like, we, we, you can listen to it. But anyway, but, point I mean, that ties Finn, into it. That's all I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I mean, Finn toys in my area were gone. To, it was like 
just no one wanted Kylo Ren with good reason. And maybe yes. Disney should have stuck <laughs> with that and understood that no one wanted Kylo Ren and that little edgelord thing. And, uh, you know, but this is not a Star Wars episode. We can let go. But, but in a way, it is because Star yes. Wars Day the day on which Star Wars toys used to be released was absolutely mm-hmm. playing off of lots of Black Friday type hype, mm-hmm. you know, like the midnight release that, you know, that stretches back to like episode one, right? When you would go at, you know, Toys R Us at midnight and, and try to get all those toys. I remember that as a kid. I mean, that was huge. And that was like its own thing. And they, Hasbro, you know, kept that up for a, a long time. So it in, in the sense of like just Black Friday sales tactics, I mean, Star Wars used plenty of those. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, I guess technically like in terms of marketing and like consumer goods and merchandise outside the franchise, like I don't know how much money has been generated by Star Wars toys. And Oh, yeah. Well, Absolutely. So, I mean, I wanted, one of the reasons I wanted to do the show is I wanted to talk about event shopping. I, I, you know, Wayne's not here today, but he would point out if we were, if he were here, that free comic book day has basically kept American comic book shops in business since 2001. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, for, so basically since 2001, uh, Cecil can't be like, what? Since 2001, <laughs> free I know, but like, I'm just saying how, how important it is. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It is the largest shopping day of the year by because it draws people in and then they buy other stuff yes that's the entire point yeah. i mean that's the entire reason it exists is for that and it's highly successful and it's the day that i mean there's other days that are good you know people make money during christmas because hey i have a comic book fan in my life what should i buy and the comic book store is like yeah buy them watchmen knowing full well that everyone owns watchmen but it's but it's an easy sell right? mm-hmm. like you can do things like that but like but just on the amount of people that come into the store on this random Saturday in May, mm-hmm. it will always it will just keep comic book stores in the black for the entire year. Mm-hmm. They sell yeah. that much, so much so that during the pandemic, when the first year of the pandemic, when it was canceled, that hurt people a lot. It, it was like, yeah. a, oh, we are in trouble because we can't, you know, we for obvious reasons we can't have a free comic book day. And that was how we were going to stay in business this year. So, so yeah, like yeah. comic books, so a lot of comic book stores like folded that first year because yeah. they literally didn't have this one day that keeps them profitable. Hmm. And it's interesting because knowledge of the toy industry would show the history of that because in the 70s, Charles Lazarus, who's the founder of Toys R Us, sold diapers at a loss actually because he knew that would bring people into the store where they would buy the thing. So while they're not free, Mm -hmm. that idea of, you know, make something really low cost or free, get people in the store, they buy the things. I mean, that, that got people into Toys R Us, you know, back in in the (laughs) seventies when they needed people to come in there. So it just goes to show like that tactic is verifiably Mm -hmm. uh, effective. And Star Wars Day, which yeah. you know, Black Friday, sure. Black Friday. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's stuff like Record Store Day too, and I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not like embedded in like vinyl and that community, but I know enough to know that once Josh got me to go to Record Store Day and we walked out with our full like vinyl playing setup oh. and some records. So you know, if it worked on me, I'm sure it worked on loads of other people. I mean, it's it, with records. It's interesting because the store that I work at slash consult for, it's uh, Dan's parents' house on City Island here in New York, and they also sell records. And records are one of the biggest sellers that they have, even mm-hmm. more so than the toys. 
Wow. Do they put out new records or are they just all resells? Oh, no. Oh, oh okay. vinyl. Vinyl, vinyl oh. for the last two years. It's definitely last year. And I think the last two years, vinyl sells now outsell CDs. And I like, own, increasingly by a lot. I own Kesha's new album only on vinyl because it felt like the kind of album you just sit and listen to in order quietly. <laughs> contemplating like life and maybe having an existential break highly recommend wonderful nice. well since steph is always saying she she has trouble shopping if if you look, an idea i didn't want to have to say it if you were to look at my if you were to look at my amazon wish list on the yes. list of things that are of highest priority for the last three years there is a there is a record player yeah, that, well, I, well, that okay, i do okay good this, this is good. i'm glad i enjoyed oh. this episode i just want to check mav it's not crosley right like it's like a real one my, like, record like a player record player. Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, like, they scratch up records. Like you should. Oh, no, audio okay. technics. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. You know what? I, I realized I was panicking for the wrong person. You would absolutely know that. <laughs> yes, I know which one I want. It, it is on. Okay. And, but again, it's and then stuff's going to be gonna like. It's going to go online right now. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> Just wait till Black Friday. You can get it at a discount. Actually, Amazon. <laughs> till Monday. Yeah. Amazon deals are open already. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. That, like, it's I too will like update TV every few years. Of course, like, it's time of year to do it. But I by no means feel the need to rush out to Best Buy now the way. I do because I'm like, well, I'll just buy it. Like as we get into the speed, basically the price, like, and it's a low and forbidden issue. So compare them all. Like, well, they're really the same versions. Also, so for Best Buy this year made the decision to stop DVD sales, which yeah. is a mistake. It is it bad. Is. Yep. They are. It is wrong. It was the wrong thing to do. I hope they reconsider. They're not going to. And I understand that media sales are down. People who you know, because people, everybody wants to stream now. So so physical media sales are down. That's wrong. Physical media is king and should stay around. I enjoy it. I love it. Never give up. Never. You know. But like with that happening, it's gonna kill Best Buy. I don't know what they're thinking. They're gonna go the way of you know. Of, I don't know, Circuit City. Circuit <laughs> and City. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a name I haven't heard. Sun TV, like all these big, like there used, there used to be all these big electronic box stores. That's by put them all out of business by being smart and realizing that, I mean, they realize that if we can get you in the door, at least you'll, once you're there, if you're a big enough nerd, you know, me, you won't leave without buying something on DVD. So it was always some sale, right? Like if I go to Best Buy, oh, I don't have this yet. So so it was always like I would have something. And that's why I have, you know, a couple thousand DVDs is because I will get something. And that's not an exaggeration. I literally have, you know, a walking closet yeah. full of DVDs. Ask, yeah. <laughs> but like, but I, yeah, I'm just saying, but like they're not, they're going to yeah. lose because like what, because beyond that, Best Buy is, frankly their amazon showroom right like that's why i go to best buy i go to best buy because i'm like i'm not sure which of these tvs i want i need to see them in person okay it's this one now i'll stand here in best buy and i will order it from amazon where it will be delivered to my front door for you know two hundred dollars less so so like i i am wondering though and i know that this is maybe a different show but i'm wondering if physical media might have a comeback 
because like streaming services are raising their prices. Yeah. It feels like every month mm-hmm. they're discouraged. Overall, most of them are discouraging password sharing and stuff. And they rip stuff away. That yeah, and they rip I stuff think away. That, yeah, I think that Zaslav is going to inadvertently like Zaslav's crazy and and to a lesser extent Iger at Disney but the two of them basically saying hey we can save money by yanking this off our streaming service and then we don't have to pay royalties to the actors they're you know what's going to happen is you know I can't live in a universe where I can't watch Battlestar Galactica whenever I want I just can't go back to that world right and I don't have to because I've got every season on DVD or on Blu-ray actually same yeah I mean it'll be it's yet to be seen I think whether Best Buy is taking that stuff away in the sense of like it's gone forever or they're taking it away in the sense of like the McDonald land gang is not really at McDonald's like they're bad. They took it away. (laughs) Like and now we're all Mm -hmm. clamoring for Grimace, you know, so like, is it kind of going to be a manufactured scarcity kind of thing? I mean, we'll see. Like, I I agree with you, though, that it it is it sucks that Best Buy is taking away their their mm-hmm. DVDs and Blu-rays because I mean think about Black Friday sales I mean those would be like what a couple of bucks at Best Buy sometimes and those Black Friday sales they were pretty good yeah and you know not to not have that same thing with Walmart too Walmart I'd go to and I just like be like I don't want to watch this movie but it's three dollars <laughs> yeah I mean <laughs> yes we're watching this tonight <laughs> I, I don't know if this is a black friday deal or if amazon's just being nice but currently dungeons and dragons honor among thieves blu-ray is 9.99 which was which is again is the price of a matinee movie ticket and it was a movie everyone missed besides me who was there <laughs> i love it um, i love it oh yay that i guess i guess i'm in the wrong crowd to say everyone but me <laughs> um but if you didn't see it for less than a movie ticket in hannah's town you can own <laughs> dungeons and dragons from amazon mm-hmm. it, it was really good yeah i've seen it yet I, I do need to watch it well mav it, it's 9.99 what a deal <laughs> it's real good i don't think that goes to your box office game no it doesn't but i i mean it just is really good i, I want it to yes. it made me sad that this didn't make more money because like there are movies that are like fun but like you wouldn't necessarily call them good and it's like okay then there are movies that are just disappointments indiana jones 5 and then there are movies <laughs> that are really good and it's like but like this was like wonderful this was a cloud crowd pleaser i don't i'm not leaving the theater feeling like i'm sad and depressed um because you know like some movies like killers of the flower moon like purposely want me that, that's not criticism <laughs> of the movie it's good it's just kind of it, it, that's not what this is about but you know like it's a feel-good fun time like and it's like actually good like on an an objective-ish level like why didn't you make more money and this is not about the box office game this is just about i think we're resolving nothing is what you're going (laughs) just so far away yeah i mean who can follow up the cabbage patch kids riots really because until (laughs) this episode i didn't know that was a thing i missed it well Um, yeah it's fascinating yeah that was huge huge yeah i remember Huge, and I mean, if you saw, I don't know if you saw the movie Jingle All the Way in the nineties, but uh, like, yes. yeah, because Hannah did ask you. I mean, we got sidetracked, but you did say at one point, you know, the effect on pop culture, and I think Jingle All the yeah. Way is a yeah. brilliant, you know, sort of marker. Of yeah. That. Oh, totally. You know I watch Single All the Way, so I'm confusing that. Jing- Jingle All the Way, a very different movie. Yeah. Um, very different. With Jingle All the Way, though, the thing that 
kind of nails is something that came up in this discussion too, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger's validity as a desk on his ability to get Turbo Man, the Turbo Man action figure. And Mm -hmm. as we're talking Mm -hmm. about the Cabbage Patch Kids riots, there are certain cases where like one's validity as a parent rests on their ability to get that toy for their kid. And it's being the ultimate provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. And and if you put that in an era where you kind of have this greed is good sort of thing going around just culturally, then I think mm-hmm. you do get instances like what we saw in the in the 80s with these toys cuz it's also striking that Cabbage Patch Kids today are largely worthless. I don't want to say worthless. Like look, you can get one or like a vintage one if you're not looking for in the box you know you could get one for like 30 bucks maybe less they sold for 30 bucks back then which would have been about 80 dollars today so they're Mm -hmm. actually cheaper to get now the cabbage patch brand of course is still around you know that's gone through several different companies mattel famously took it over in the early 90s and made a doll that got recalled because it ate children's hair. I don't know if people. Are this. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. What was this? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, really? I have, I, I have one right here. It's so the oh. cat, cat doll that they made actually had a mechanism in the mouth where it could actually eat plastic food. Yeah. But uh, the problem yeah. with that. Oh. Yeah, you fed it, right. And it would basically like digest it and then the plastic food would wind up in the backpack of the doll and you could take it out and do it all over again. And yeah. the problem with that though is that the mechanism also would eat, quote unquote, like long hair. If you happen to have like long hair <laughs> that just sort of fell in and, and it could kind of spool around the mechanism inside the mouth, then it would just keep going, you know? And uh, <laughs> yeah, they, that was a, it was a, it was a save. I love that. <laughs> it's a downfall. I, I've forgotten all about that. And I, yeah. I do remember when that happened. <laughs> it was yeah. so loved until it started eating kids' hair. Well, that's the thing. It's it was, like, it sounds uh, like a horror movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, let's keep in mind, too, that like the garbage pail kids direct. Mm-hmm. product of the Cabbage Patch Kids, right? It's a commentary mm-hmm. on the sort of wholesomeness of the Cabbage Patch Kid. And the we were talking about this a little bit earlier, the, the sort of inherent ugliness of them. Like we understand yes. that like these are not like cute in the traditional sense. They're, they've got that sort of ugliish quality to them. Most mm-hmm. notably, like the eyes are not these big, you know, kind of doughy eyes. They're kind of smaller and that's something, you know, in terms of the way we produce toys, we don't generally associate that with cute, although, you know. Eagle beady guys. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And also, let's keep in mind, too, Sour Patch Kids. They got renamed mm-hmm. in response to Cabbage Patch Kids. They were Mars. Oh. There was um, a weird cultural impact of the, of the, of the Cabbage Patch doll. That was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All this backlash. Yeah. Right, right. So I, I think like there is a temptation. I hear this sometimes when I talk to people about the Cabbage Patch Kids, like there's a temptation to sort of tamp down its impact until you start to really talk about the impact. And you're like, well, this actually does extend farther than maybe we realize. Well, since you're you know, finishing off, if Jonathan, where would people go if they wanted to hear you talk more about this? Yeah, so a few places. I do toy history-related TikToks at Dances with Toys, if you are a TikTok person. But if you're not, 
lot and you just want to go pay $10 for your movie mag, you can do that because <laughs> I'm in Million Dollar Babies. Story of the Cash. It opens this Black Friday. I don't think there are any deals on the tickets, unfortunately. You just have to pay the price. But it is nationwide, so hopefully there's, there's something near you. And if not, then I'm sure it'll be streaming after that. But those are two places. I'm also on Facebook, Jonathan Alexandratus, Instagram, toy underscore circus. So hopefully one of those is appealing. If not, it's okay. But I'd love to hear from you, obviously. Well, thank you for joining us for this. We appreciate it. That was yes. my pleasure. Um, thank, thank you Stephanie, for telling you need... me. Okay. I was just going to say thank you for telling me about the Cabbage Patch Kids riots. Like, I'm, I'm so serious. Like, my mind is blown by this history I never knew. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. we can kind of keep it alive a little bit. Stephanie, anything you'd like to plug? Oh, I was trying to give you like the sign, like, don't come to me well, for this no. one. I want the audience to know that I cared enough to ask. Okay. Yeah, no, not really. Honestly, no. <laughs> I'm, no I'm not available on social media. <laughs> you cannot contact me. Just stay away. <laughs> oh, you know me. I'm just going to say donate to your local food bank or abortion fund or other nonprofit that speaks to you because helping each other is important throughout the whole year. But we've been talking about community. So, you know, it's important if you can to give back to yours. That was nice. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Blue Sky or, or Threads, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show most of those places, you know, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Blue Sky at Vox Podcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpodcast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. I have no idea what that is. We need to figure that out, Hannah. <laughs> we're getting towards, yeah, we're getting towards the end of the year, so we're going to have a bunch of recap shows. We'll be talking about. Oh God, we've soon got our. You got to like start talking about Christmas specials, which is like Hannah, mm-hmm. my favorite thing. Also. This, I believe, is our 295th episode. I think so. So so we're closing in on 300, which is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing. Yeah, this, I believe. How many years have you been doing this? We started in 2018, I think. Hmm. So five, I don't know, something like that. (laughs) Yeah, this is episode 294 that we're on today. Oh, well. Pretty close, yeah. Close enough. I don't, I'm going to pretend like I just pulled that number out of the air and was <laughs> right-ish, but not entirely. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Stuff. It's almost bedtime, so I'm happy to be functional. That was very close. That was impressively close. Yeah. Well, anyway, you should go and check out our blog where you'll find out whatever it is we're going to be talking about next week. And you can leave us comments on this or any other show. You can suggest topics or uh, say anything else. Sometimes we pick guests from the blogs. You can just say, hey, have Jonathan back. That was cool. <laughs> um, yeah. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or Pandora or Google Play, wherever the hell you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out, especially if you don't just leave a rating. If you leave a five-star review where you write something up about us, about how awesome the show is on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, and makes me feel all warm and fuzzy on inside. And it's, you know, it's Thanksgiving time. Say you're thankful for Fox Popcast. I certainly am. So, you know, here. <laughs> I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. 
And once again, I'd like to thank Jonathan and Stephanie for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.